23 to order. Roll call, Mr. Steele. Commissioner Alexander? Here. Commissioner Fisher? Here. Commissioner Lamb? Here. Commissioner Matamidi? Here. Commissioner Sanchez? Mr. Vice President Wiseman Ward? President Bogus? Here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, at this time before the board goes into closed session, I call for any speakers to the closed session items listed in the agenda. There will be a total of five minutes for speakers. Are there any speaker cards? There are none for in person. For our virtual participants, if you care to speak to any of the closed session items, please raise your hand. Seeing no hands raised. Thank you so much. I will now recess this meeting at 5.02 for closed session. Thank you. San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. And we will start with the readout from closed session and uh, the vote on student expulsion matters. I move approval of stipulated expulsion agreement of one high school student, matter number 2023-2024, Dash number zero two from the district for the remainder of fall 2023 semester from the date of approval of the expulsion commencing the day following the expulsion order. Uh, can I have a second? Second. Roll call vote, please. Thank you, President Bogus. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Seven eyes. Thank you so much. Uh, the next item, I move approval of the stipula stipulated expulsion agreement of one high school student, matter number 2023-2024, number 03, from the district for the remainder of the fall 2023 semester, suspended enforcement of the expulsion for spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Roll call vote, please. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Seven S. Thank you. Uh, for the next item, I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement of one middle school student, matter number 2023-2024, number four, from the district for the remainder of the fall 2023 semester and spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. Can I have a roll call vote, please, Mr. Steele? Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Yes. Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Seven S. Now I will continue with the uh, report from closed session. On a vote of 7 to 0, the board took action to waive a conflict regarding a litigation matter. 
in one matter of anticipated litigation, the board, by a vote of seven yeses, gives direction to the general counsel. In one matter of anticipated litigation, the board, by a vote of six yeses and one recuse, run recru <laughs> excuse me, one recusal, Commissioner Fisher uh, gives direction to the general counsel. In the matter of KLK versus SFUSD, San Francisco Superior Court number CGC-21-589106, the board by a vote of seven yeses gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student, student MR versus SFUSD OAH case number 2023-08, 0260. The board, by a vote of seven yeses, gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. Uh, and that concludes the report from closed session. Uh, and with that, we will move to our workshop item on student outcomes. Uh, and with that, the board will move to the other seats. started in another minute. Uh, we'll give the superintendent um, and the team a few more moments uh, to get ready and then we'll launch into the presentation. All right. Um, good evening everyone. Uh, very excited to start our first progress monitoring workshop of the 23-24 school year. And 
Um, just uh, want to remind ourselves and our community what we've committed to as a governance team, and that's recognizing that why we're here is to improve our student outcomes. I'm always happy to welcome two of our students to our conversation. And, um, but we're not going to improve our outcomes until our adult behaviors change. And so we've committed to changing how we do things by spending time at our board meetings on monitoring progress. And, um, you know, and, and appreciate the commitment the Board of Education has made to, um, to what's, are you moving things? Don't uh, appreciate the commitment the Board of Education has made to this process. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think we're just on the TVs in here. Okay, let me try. There we go. There we go. Okay, so what is this process? So um, we have been following the Council of Great City Schools process for monitoring progress. And uh, in it, they define what a progress monitoring report should look like. That it has um, the goals that we're working towards, a review of the data, our interpretation, and the evidence in the plan. Now tonight, I want to acknowledge we're doing something where the goals we're presenting, we're presenting on all of our goals and, and including some interim guardrails. Because this is typically the um, uh, evening when we do a presentation at this time of year about all of our summative data results. Uh, but what we're doing th differently this year is first we're just reporting on our progress towards our goals that the, the board adopted. And that, then we're also starting to share some of the plan of what we're doing to address that focused on one of our key strategies. So we're not talking tonight actually about what we're doing specifically with literacy, math, our college and career readiness, our three um, goals, we're talking specifically across all of those, how we're using data to inform uh, changes to curriculum instruction and other actions we take to improve student outcomes. So that's actually related to our guardrail three um, on curriculum and instruction. So the data is gonna be on all areas, but the discussion about our strategies and plan Will be um, uh, will be focused on the use of data. Then we have our governor's calendar, where next month we'll look at attendance, and then we look at literacy and math and college and career readiness, and then go through that process again. Um, so we're all familiar with our goals, but it's worth putting them up again um, on third grade literacy, college and career um, eighth grade math, and college and career readiness. And so, uh, um, and so. What is our progress towards those goals, right? So we have interim goals that describe what we, you know, how we're making progress throughout the year, and then we have our annual targets, right? And so when we've initially adopted these goals without having uh, put in place strategies to achieve them, we were hoping to be at 53% of students proficient in third grade literacy, or meeting standards in third grade literacy. We actually see we have 52% of students meeting standard uh, but we kept the same target for next year, 55%. Um, in literacy, you see a flat line of achievement. In math, you see a decline. And so that's, you know, um, definitely concerning. Uh, we see that we went down to 40% um, for, uh, for all students. 
And we still want to show a significant increase um, in math for next year, but we're going to need to and uh, you know really hone in on our math um, you know practices and support. And while we know we're coming with recommendations uh, for that in the future, we need to do some work now to be improving uh, math achievement. And we don't have the full college and career readiness um, uh, score yet, but so we did look at how students are doing in meeting UCCSU requirements. That's one of the indicators for college and career readiness. And so again, we see generally flat, we, you know, during COVID went down and, and starting to climb back up, but, um, you know, that, uh, but not any significant change. And then, um, again, just to focus on two of our interim guardrails. Uh, so we say we're gonna serve the whole child, and one way we think that we demonstrate we're doing that is that how we're supporting students to be in school. I uh, appreciate when we went through the training, this isn't a student outcome, because this isn't a measure of what students know and are able to do. It's a measure of really the adults in their lives' ability to ensure that they're in school, either by making sure they get there, or when they're in school with us, making sure they want to stay there. And we did make improvement in that area, um, but still having 26% of our students chronically absent is uh, way too high. Um, and then. Uh, the other way we describe serving, we have some measures to see if we're serving the whole child is are we creating a sense of belonging um, for our students? And you can see that's gone down for the last um, two years as well. And so that's an area where you know, we're going to need to do work to think about how we can make students feel like they belong in our schools. Um, and then I do want to note uh, you know, all of this data is dis disaggregated because while our goals are universal, um, our, we, you know, our approach to supporting student outcomes is targeted, and so we have our interim goals are targeted, so it's important to disaggregate the data. And you can see throughout um, what's challenging and, you know, I know a, 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 you know, status quo that we know has to change is the continued and ongoing gap between some of our most vulnerable populations and how overall we're doing as a district. Um, so when looking at all of this, um, what, like in summary, when we look at our uh, progress towards our goals, you know, we are off track, right? So we have not shown any you know, significant progress relative to you know, the targets we have for what we hope to be at for this year. And again, there's the persistent achievement gap across race and ethnicity and program groups. Um, I want to recognize that what we're seeing is mirroring you know, and is consistent with national trends. You know, for example, across the country, we're seeing the greatest drop in eighth grade math and widen and racial and socioeconomic gaps. So we share that as part of our interpretation just to note that uh, you know, these are, um, you know, this is happening beyond San Francisco, but what we're going to share is ways in San Francisco we think we can reverse course and accelerate that progress. So I went through that um, relatively quickly because what we're excited to share, we, again, that, we've, we've seen a lot of this data before. What we're excited to share is the evidence and the plan. So this is our broad data. You've heard me talk a lot about uh, the street data framework. This is our satellite data, how we're doing as a system. This doesn't drive what happens in our schools, though. It's really you know, the day-to-day -day work that are, uh, happens in the classroom, happens with our principals and our site leaders that will impact ultimately this system level data. And so we uh, want to talk about how we're using this data and to help inform at the, uh, again, in the framework, 
language, like how we're help inform what we're seeing at the map level or the street level to really make changes. So for that, I'm going to turn it over to um, our uh, head of research planning and accountability, uh, Dr. Ritu Khanna and her team. Thank you so much, Dr. Rain. Uh, good evening, Board of Commissioners, Superintendent, uh, student board members, and members of the public. My name is Ritu Khanna, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Jess Reyes and Munhak Kim, who will be sharing, and will be sharing with you the evidence and plan, which is the fourth section of the progress monitoring report. Okay, next slide, please. Before we be begin, I do want to revisit uh, the definition of a guardrail. So a guardrail was created, again, in um, A.J. Krabbel's words, as non-negotiables that must be honored and be in place while moving through the goals for student success. So for this section, we are going to focus on the interim guardrail 3.2, which hones in on the use of data, uh, regularly reviewing data to monitor progress for continuous improvement of instruction, even though this goal specifically, guardrail specifically speaks to teachers' use of data, it is important to note that data use should be prevalent at all levels of the district. Uh, as such, we will describe our system's approach to the use of data. Next slide, please. Uh, the theory of action here outlines our commitment to building the systems, the structures, the routines for using data for improvement. Our belief is that by analyzing and reflecting on both implementation and impact data at the classroom school district level, we can ascertain the extent to which our strategies are working and scale those that are promising in accomplishing our goals. Okay, next slide, please. Given this theory of action, we want to really begin by focusing on what is new and what is the new thing that we are doing in our approach to the use of data. Okay. Um, there are some strategic pivots that we have done within our uh, regular routines in the use of data. So the number one I want to talk about is leveraging district targets and cascading them to school-level targets to build a shared responsibility and accountability for our district goals. It's the first time that sites have been able to see how many students do we need to really reach this district's target. Okay. Um, an innovation that I also want to talk about is we have created these, what we are calling equity-enhanced targets for schools. And these equity-enhanced targets are taking into account the fact that some schools, um, you know, might be further behind or need an accelerated trajectory of academic recovery. Therefore, their target has to be more than what the district standard target is. Okay. The second strategy, again, we always do data conferences. We've been doing them for years. But thanks to this board and superintendent, we have now begun to focus on the goals and guardrails and get more specific into the high leverage actions to help achieve the targets. Um, as we cascade and as we ask schools specifically around a grade level, there is they are tapping into their resources, their programs, and their strategies 
and honing in on some successes they are seeing specifically at that grade level. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is building capacity both at the central and site level to review and reflect on both implementation and impact measures related to the vision values goals and guardrails for each one of the interim uh, goals and interim guard guardrails we have logic models we have theories of actions so we are trying to at every progress monitoring report we will present those theories of action and logic models and look at both implementation and impact data uh, an implementation data that I would like to talk about is the use of the core rubric for reviewing tier one instruction. So we have launched that and you know we are doing it both at the central and site level to look at some of our sites. Okay. So again, I do want to end by saying that um, we are going to continue to present this data even more as we do our progress monitoring reports. Okay. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Moonhoff to take us into a deeper dive into the equity-enhanced targets. Thank you. Thank you, Ritu. Okay, um, before we get into the actual targets, I want to set a little bit of context uh, so, because it's important to call attention to the fact that our use of data work really builds on the existing and widespread culture and practice of data use, as shown by this survey result. So this is coming out of the QTEA, the Quality Teacher Education Act uh, sponsored survey uh, from last year, at the end of last year. Each row indicates with whom, and each color indicates how frequently. So at the top, you see the top bar going across, it is uh, teachers individually reviewing assessment data, and all the subsequent rows show with some partner, uh, whether it's a grade level colleague or cross grades or with uh, a site leader, uh, either a principal or assistant principal. So what this shows is that virtually all teachers reviewed assessment data at least on their own. And more importantly, or, or uh, simultaneously, majority of teachers also reviewed assessment data with their colleagues or their uh, site leaders at least a few times a year. So this shows that there is an existing culture of data use among teachers. So this is the culture and practice that we're trying to build on. And as Ritu mentioned, we are focusing on moving from analysis to action. So in order to facilitate that, in the upcoming December administration of this survey, we will be including a new question. The, the question starter is a little bit off on the slide, but the following is the, the novel question we'll be including. It goes, I review implementation and impact data to progress monitor for continuous improvement of instruction. And teachers will have an option, options to choose the frequency with which they engage in that practice. So one of the innovative pieces to bolster and build on this existing use, uh, data use culture and practice is the targets report. We have endeavored to be very intentional and systematic in devising the site level targets. Uh, and the basic approach consists of three components. I will go through these relatively quickly. The first step is to determine the baseline capacity. We compare the historical performance, which is a three-year average of school's performance, to their latest performance obtained in school year 2023, and take the higher value between the two. And the idea is that if a school has a higher historical performance, that means their pre-pandemic performance was higher. 
uh, and we're hoping that they will be able to get back to that baseline capacity. Or if a school has a higher value in the latest performance that indicates to us that they're emerging more uh, strongly coming out of the pandemic, and we're hoping that they can continue to build on that progress. So the first step is to determine the baseline capacity. After that, the second step is to compare that baseline capacity to the district's average. Uh, in the example that we will walk through, it's 52% was the district-wide proficiency rate in third grade literacy. So compare that number to each site's baseline capability, whether it is in terms of the historical performance or their latest performance. And then the last step, the key step, is to then think about uh, what sort of growth target we will assign to each site. If a school site's baseline capability is higher than the district average, then they are assigned what, is, what we are calling the standard fixed growth target of 3% above their baseline. If a school is, uh, school's baseline capability is far below the district's average, then those sites receive what we are calling equity enhancing targets. And we label them as such because in order for districts to pursue the division of equity and for school sites to be able to reach that level, undoubtedly they will have to grow at an accelerated rate. Um, so walk through some more specific examples, uh, first starting with the district level. So this is what the report looks like for school sites uh, for goal one, and this is uh, zooming in on the district side, and I'll go through this relatively quickly as well. Uh, it's a figure on the bottom that you're familiar with from pro uh, prior progress report, um, progress monitoring reports. The salmon portion is the the, the growth trajectory of the district with the goal of 70% uh, target rate in 2027. Um, Dr. Wayne's giving me a time signal, so I'll go a little bit faster. Uh, the target here for the school district wide is 55%. Um, so going from 52% last year to 55%. Um, and as indicated, there's a number of students that need to be proficient in order to reach that target level. Uh, more importantly, just three quick uh, scenarios for schools. School A is a case in which the, the baseline is a three-year average. Uh, it is higher than the district-wide average, so it receives a standard target of 3%. So the school year 2024 target is 79%. School B is a second scenario in which the, the baseline capa capability is last year's performance, 44%, which is higher than the historical average. Uh, but because they have been growing at a rapid pace, as you can see, uh, they also received a standard target of 3% growing um, of growth to, to achieve 47% by the end of this year. School C is the example of equity enhancing target of 5%. Uh, their baseline capability is the three-year historical average of 20%. And because they are far below the district average, uh, we are setting the target to be 25% for this school year. Uh, it's worth noting that setting these targets alone is not going to bring about the improvements. Right? The, the targets provide the focal points around which all the conversations, planning, directing, and redirecting of the resources, and the implementation of all these can consolidate and align. And it's been really heartening to see these conversations taking place among school leaders and central office leaders and really the system coming together uh, to move this work forward. And with that, I'll pass to Jess Reyes, Executive Director of RPA. Thank you, Moonhawk. 
So strategy number two is around the data conferences. Ritu mentioned earlier that we've always had data conferences, but the new aspect of them this year is in the leveraging of the equity enhanced targets for grade three ELA and for grade eight math, most of which will happen next month. Um, so in partnership with LEAD, we will engage in a deep dive on third grade literacy and or eighth grade math by reviewing the school level targets having school leaders share baseline observation data they've collected thus far, and then connecting to programs, resources, and district supports, and defining next steps for scaling promising strategies and actions. And new strategy number three is about building capacity in the use of data. And while we've historically had data review sessions at the Admin Institute, this will be the first time that we will actually engage with interim goals to monitor progress during the year, in the fall and in the spring semesters. More specifically, RPA will provide training on using a new data review protocol and reports for site leaders and coaches in October and February. And this is chosen strategically when the new STAR interim assessments are administered. This way schools can prepare in advance to engage their instructional leadership teams to progress monitor for continuous improvement and document their analysis and action steps. Schools that complete a survey and share their ILT meeting artifacts will receive $500 each in November and March to foster and support their continuous improvement efforts at the site level. And finally, the surveys and artifacts will be synthesized and will then serve as the district's own street data to inform refinements to district strategies and to target our school supports. And with that, I'll turn it back to Ritu. Thank you. Um, I wish we could bring all our principles to this session, but we consider ourselves really fortunate to have created the space for at least two of our great leaders to share their data stories based on their amazing leadership, uh, their beautiful teachers, families, community, and last and most important, their fantastic students. From Roosevelt Middle School Principal Emily Lachim and Sheridan uh, Elementary School Principal Dina Edwards. Please join us. Board President Bogus, Commissioners, and Student Reps. Um, I really appreciate having the opportunity to just celebrate the extraordinary students, staff, and families from Roosevelt. I'm Emily Leachum, I said the principal of Roosevelt Middle School. This is my third year at Roosevelt, um, and my families and staff hear me say it all the time, but I just feel really, really lucky to be at such a special school. Um, I'm really excited to share the growth, success, and systems that we are implementing as a school site. I really believe that our success comes from being a school with shared decision-making. We make decisions from, through an anti-racist lens, and we provide time for teacher collaboration. So what you see on the slides are our math and ELA data, but we really look at the whole child of Roosevelt. We believe that if a child is seen, heard, and valued, they will take the academic risks that they need to be successful. 
Our students have shown growth in both math and ELA. I really want to celebrate our special education and our English learners for the amount of growth they made this year, um, especially in math. I also want to highlight that our African-American and Latinx students both saw growth in ELA, and our Latinx students had a 16% growth in math. So it's a huge thing to celebrate uh, for our school site. So I just want to explain a little bit of what we're doing at our site that we think is really making, that we know that is making this happen. So we're really fortunate to be um, a pilot school for Initiate Wonder. And I want to highlight the value of the common planning time that comes with the Initiate Wonder program. This provides our educators with a space where the department teachers can come together for intentional collaboration they do this multiple times a week, and this is outside of their regular preparation. So this is a dedicated space for our teachers and educators to work together. We use it to have adult deeper learning together. We use it for planning and cycles of inquiry. In our math department, common planning time is used to regularly engage in cycles of inquiry. They're using PDSA cycles. They've been doing this for three years, so they're really focusing on academic language through math, math talks, conducting data cycles in classroom discussions, and bringing back that data to reflect and evaluate what they need to do next as educators. In science, common planning time is used for the team to set goals as educators, and they do this throughout the year. They're also making time to fine tune their grading policies as a team. Our SPED department, uses this time to create individual missions that they will use to guide them through the year with their work with their students and their families. A lot of them are, I read through them just the other day to get them around my head, and some of them were about student self-advocacy, building healthy partnerships with our students and families. We really use this space as well to prioritize building intentional partnerships with our families. That is something when I came in that I wanted to make sure there was space to build not just relationships, but partnerships with our families. So we dedicate our Monday common planning time, which is our lightning day, so it's all of our classes. That time is protected for our teachers to use this to do family outreach. And we really make sure, I make sure that they know this is not a time to call for this is what's not going right. It's a time to call to say this is what's going great and I really just wanted to connect with you so that we're serving your child together. Um, administration and student support, we definitely take the time to make the sunshine calls to call home and just say how are you. I was Before I came on I had a parent texting me like hey this is going on. I was like okay let me I, I'll be I'll call you back in 20 minutes. So we're really trying to make that time to, for our families to know that we are here for them no matter what. Um, we also really partner closely with our Beacon program. So they are doing a lot of work for our cultural identity nights. They help with our identity-based clubs at the site so that all of our students feel they have a place to go as well as a trusted adult. Um, we're gonna continue to include conversations on building relationships with our students and our families and supporting our students feeling a sense of belonging at Roosevelt. It's something that is a huge priority for us. And we plan to do this through a lot of data analysis, teacher collaboration, and using the CPT time for adult deeper learning on the importance of building those relationships and how we can build those relationships. So moving into this year, I really want to continue with that adult deeper learning in our common planning time. This year we're using, we're starting the year with street data protocols. Having our teachers really dive into the data, having them look at the data that really is speaking to them, 
and we're going to have them share that out with us as a whole staff and I'm really excited to hear kind of what went what they went through with that what we guided them with was analyze those student strengths where are the growth points where do we as educators need to focus to increase our student agency and our outcomes my goal this year is to have, by the end of this year, is that every teacher will have a focal student that they will then continue to follow through the years. We want to make sure that we're really watching our students and seeing what's working for them. The vision at our school really includes that all students are heard, valued, and trusted to thrive. By continuing our growth on how we are utilizing the common planning time as a structure to support our students and a place to align around instructional coherence, building positive partnerships with our students and families. I really believe that our students will continue to succeed and excel at Roosevelt. Community at Roosevelt is a really, really strong community. We have hard conversations, we talk through things, we put our students and families first, and we're committed to every student in that building uh, realizing their greatness. So thank you all. My name is Dina Edwards, and I am the principal at Sheridan Elementary School. I have been, this is my 15th year as principal of the school, so I've been here there for a long time. Um, our, we have a very dedicated and cohesive staff that considers the whole child and everything that we do. And I have an amazing team of paras, teachers, social worker, nurse, secretary, SPED team, custodian, lunch lady, every person at that school is truly there for the child. And um, when you walk through the door, uh, you can feel that when you walk through. So you can look at our data and we have um, made some really great increases. And we're very proud of that, and I want to share just a few things that we have done to, to make that happen. So one thing we started about three years ago is we have parent-teacher conferences at the beginning of the year. And we have those conferences to make that initial intentional um, connection with parents so we can get to know the families right from the beginning. Uh, and we use that street data to inform and make school decisions right from the beginning. So we ask the same questions of every parent so that we can know, you know, what use that data to inform our decisions. Uh, we do look at data regularly and over the last couple of years, we have three umbrellas of practices that we have been implementing. The first one is demonstrations of learning, and that is where the students, uh, we focus on student agency over their own learning. Students create their own learning goals, collect data on their learning goals, collect their best work that demonstrates, demonstrates mastery of those learning goals, and they present that to parents during student-led conferences. And after they do that and they have the two conferences at the end of the school year, we have portfolio night where they have a culminating <clears throat> portfolio of their progress over time that they present to families. We also have been doing shift the balance, which uh, is the science of reading and we're reading a book for second 
Kindergarten through second grade shift the balance where we learn how we can incorporate more phonics into our ELA program. Uh, this year they have a three through five book and we're going to use that to do the same thing. Uh, this has been very instrumental in our uh, goal of third grade reading readiness at the end of third grade. All of our teachers have been trained in the science of reading and they are very excited by it and the children are also excited by the learning that they've been doing. And lastly, we have been doing culturally responsive pedagogy. So last year we read um, culturally responsive teaching in the brain as a school, as a book club, and focusing on being warm demanders. And we have now are moving that theory that we've been learning about into practice. And what strategies are we going to be implementing that we learned and then expanding that to other uh, texts that we've been reading. <clears throat> so some of the things that we have been doing and why we're just the bright spot, and I'm so excited to be here to share <laughs> that we are the bright spot, um, is that even though I've been the principal for 15 years, I've been at Sheridan for 26 years. Um, one of the things is that we have a very, <laughs> and most of our teachers have been there. I mean, I have a few teachers that have been there longer than I have. And uh, I do have a very small turnover rate. And I think that is also one of the reasons why we have been doing as well as we have been doing. People are here, they are dedicated, we know the families. Children that I taught when I was a teacher have brought their children back to Sheridan. So it is a truly a family feel and I'm just very blessed and I feel very lucky to be there. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, thank you both, and thank you to the RPA team. And don't go anywhere, because we know this was a long presentation, but we wanted to get everything out to then then have a discussion. And, um, you know, I want to uh, emphasize, uh, you know, this, gar uh, th this uh, strategy is about from analysis to action. So you heard two sites go and uh, talk through their analysis and then the actions they're taking. And so the questions that you see up there are the ones that are asked at every data conference. And then, you know, when we think systemically, we you know, get to hear what are some promising practices to build on. So, you know, it's unlikely we can ensure that every uh, principal is at their school for 27 years. Uh, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, but in terms of our focus on foundational skills, you know, that's what we're doing as a district with uh, our district-wide professional development, and we see a school that went further uh, faster what the results have been and that's something that's really encouraging to see or we have more schools now that have adopted this the um, initiate wonder schedule but we have a model of uh, that uh, of how that time can be used for collaboration and to really get to know our middle school students and uh, be able to meet their needs so with that um, again, a lot of information but thank you both for being here and thanks to the team and we'll turn it over to the uh, board for our discussion so for commissioners, what we'll do is we'll get a stack and we'll give folks um, two to three minutes for comments and we'll ask folks to refrain um, from follow-up questions immediately so we can get all voices in. We'll create space if our student delegates want to go first. If not, we can kind of see who else on the board is ready to ask questions. 
we'll actually start with our vice president and kind of go around from there. Okay, unless, unless students are ready. No, I think we're ready for you, yeah. Hi. Um, thank you to the RPA team. Thank you to our site leaders. Um, it's, I'm like been smiling and taking lots of notes. Um, my question actually is at maybe for our site leaders, but but also um, to Dr. Wayne. It's we're we're learning. We're sharing data. We're sharing um, how we might do do things similar, like using the the common plan and common planning time consistently in other sites. And I guess I'm wondering. Is there space, is there a mechanism for you all as site leaders at middle school or elementary school to have um, like a buddy system? So that not, not just so that there's accountability, but like let me walk you through how we're doing this, principle to principle. Um, let me talk to you about how I've supported my staff, uh, how we're, we're focused on this. And I know that we have you know, assistant superintendents that should be providing support as well, but it seems different and maybe would land in a, in a, would be more effective if it's coming from someone else that is doing the job and may, has been, may have um, dealt with, with similar challenges or can, I haven't, I haven't had that challenge, but wow, this is what I might do. And I just wonder if there's a, if, if there isn't already a buddy, I don't know what the word is, a buddy system or something like that. Is that something, I mean, obviously we don't want there to be extra work, um, but is that something that, that the district can, help facilitate and coordinate and then let you all engage? Would that be helpful? And the answer might be no, and that's okay too. And I would defer to your expertise on that. So um, during our um, principals meetings, we do have time where we sit and talk together and have that time to discuss um, any issues or what we're doing at different school sites. So we already have that built into our principals meetings for our cohort. I'm in cohort five. But there's not like a one-on-one, it's not like, that, that's a group. Yes. So there's not like, just like a one-on-one, like you and, and principal from school X. No, but our cohort is pretty um, cohesive and together, so we share together for everything. So I don't feel like I need a one-to-one -one buddy because I have, you know, 20 buddies that I can talk to. <laughs> And I know at middle school we did start doing it. We um, had a retreat this summer and really started talking about like what does CPT look like and really starting to have those conversations. And we do have a small cohort. So it is, I think, a really good space to be able to have those conversations. Um, and I forgot to do something. I forgot to shout out Mr. Davis Segal, who is no longer sitting there because he's one of our student support people at Roosevelt. So I had to make sure I gave him a shout out. I stole the mic from my fellow commissioner, sorry. I just wanted to, I was excited to thank our site leaders for being here and just having been a former site leader myself, I know it is extra work to do the, you know, to make the presentation and actually present it. So thank you so much for being here tonight. And also I just would recommend um, for our superintendent um, that, I mean, to hear these positive you know, stories, real stories, real things that are happening on our sites is so, it's such a departure out, you know, from 
what we normally hear as board members um, in our meetings. Obviously, there are a lot of things that have gone wrong and will continue to go wrong. That's just the nature of public schools, but that we also have so many wonderful things happening at our sites every single day, every single day, and you're witness to it, and you know that it's not perfect, and you know that there are things that you have to fix at all times as site leaders and work, but that we have wonderful things happening in our sites, and I'd love for us to spend more time concentrating on those. And to your point, um, Vice President Weston Ward, um, the, the ability or having the space and time for site leaders to share with each other their successes and their, and their struggles is really important work that needs to be done, needs to be done on an ongoing basis because if we don't do that, um, we operate in silos and we don't share the best practices that can be replicated in other sites. And I do have a question, though. <laughs> um, and our slides, the, at least the handout's not paginated, but the summer 2023 QTA survey, um, there was 66% of the teachers responded. I don't know if that's a higher or low number uh, percentage. Maybe you can, that's okay. So it's, it does seem like a high, a high number. Um, so a lot of motivated folks wanting to get their, uh, 1,673 exactly. teachers. But at, at the same time, a third of our teachers did not respond. And I, I'm just wondering if we can make any assumptions about, A, who those teachers are, and maybe, B, uh, what kind of responses they may have provided. I, the one area, the, the first um, bar graph is you know positive, obviously. Teachers are looking at their data and, their, and assessment data and are making decisions based on instruction um, to help their instruction. But then when you get down to um, having a principal or AP, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's quite a low percentage of, of, of teachers that are um, have taken that opportunity or even given the opportunity to have that conversation. So I'm wondering if, if leadership can provide any answers around that. Um. At this point, you know, it's a, again, we want to keep moving from not just the assessment of, uh, uh, you know, looking at the assessment results or looking at data, whether it's street data, interim data, summative data. It's more, how do we then move from analyzing to acting? And that's what we are really in the process of moving. I think it's the structures that they were talking about. How many structures do we really have in place to allow this use of data, you know, or this conversation around data. It could be just few times a year. That's the reason when you look at the results, you will see that um, when we asked about do you review it within your grade level, the percentage was more. Across grade level, it became a little lower, and then with the principal, it became even lower. So my connection is more to the structures that we have in place and the opportunities. And just to add, though, I think uh, we're, what I was going to say is we're in those structures trying to create opportunities for where you see the, the cross-grade level um, discussions. And so last week we had our first district-aligned PD uh, session. So it's Wednesdays. You know, kids are out early on Wednesdays, right? So that's at every school. Um, but then we, to support our, um, like at elementary level, to support our literacy goal, 
we had um, provided materials for schools to do around uh, focusing on the standards and the essential content. So uh, uh, our, with Ms. Rice-Mitchell and Dr. Aguilera-Fort, we were at Chavez observing their session, which was really great to see. And so they were actually analyzing the standards, but you had the f um, first and second grade team together, the, uh, the third and fourth grade team together, the, so they could start seeing like the standards below their grade level, uh, you know, or whether or above their grade level, right? So it is leveraging those structures to then create opportunities to talk not just within the grade level, but across what are we expecting from our students? Thank you very much to our school leaders for being here. I echo what Commissioner Sanchez said. It's so nice to hear the bright spots. And um, Mr. Kim, thank you for pointing out that while we're identifying targets, that doesn't in and of itself lead to improved outcome, you know, and, and we've got some work to do around resource allocation in that area as well. So um, it was really exciting to hear the bright spots both from Roosevelt and, and Sheridan. Um, and my kids are now in high school, so, um, you know, I've seen, like, common planning time when my now senior was at Everett. That was happening at Everett, too. Um, and when 75% of our students with disabilities actually sit in gen ed class but don't necessarily have time with their case manager, that common planning time can be so key to making sure that the differentiation and the individualization is happening there. So um, I'm so excited to actually see that tie to an increase in data. So um, yay. Uh, Self-advocacy for students with disabilities, oh my gosh. Only about a third of kids who qualify for disability services in college actually go into the disability services office and ask for those accommodations. So making sure that our kids understand how to advocate is so key, so thank you. And family outreach from a positive frame. Um, there have been schools where me as a parent, I've seen that phone number and been like, uh-oh, what are they calling about now? So to hear it framed from a positive, I mean, when we talk about sense of belonging, that's step number one. So thank you so much. Um, and Ms. Edwards, of course, um, I'm going to toot your horn a little bit because one of the things that you didn't talk about was just what an anchor you are to the community. You know, how connected you are to the Lakeview, the OMI, um, and I think you're not giving yourself anywhere near enough credit for being the glue um, that holds the, the community uh, and, you know, and, and the resources you bring into the school. Like, you were the definition of community schools before we had community schools, so thank you for all the work you've been doing for so long. I'm a little biased. Um, you know, Sheridan is, is my neighborhood school, and I love hearing you talk about structured literacy. I was actually in Miss Makovic's classroom today, um, one of our kindergarten teachers, and I know that they have structured literacy, you and your team, part because of the work of the teachers to write grants, to put themselves through training over the summer. You know, this was self-built. This isn't resources brought to Sheridan by the district. This was the need determined by the community, went out um, and figured out how to do it. And the kindergarten team in first grade, the first grade teachers said, hey, what did you do? You know, what's going on here? And then they went and learned, and then the next grade level went and learned. And so um, that's, that's been a real success story. So I think, um, you know, and, and we've got other schools that have worked with Ms. Hammonds to do culturally responsive teaching in the brain, and that warmed, you know, everything you talked about. So I think 
the reason I bring all this up, and I, there is a point to my um, circulocution, um, uh, we have so many bright spots to Commissioner Sanchez's point. I think for me, my big question as a district is how do we systematize all of this? How do we um, provide the consistency in support? And, and how do we take these bright spots one by one through, and granted, we're talking about 120 plus schools, right? So it's no easy feat, but how are we taking this and making sure and to your point as well, Commissioner Weissman Ward, you know, learning from each other. But I think us as a leadership team, how are we providing, how, what are we doing to systematize? Um, and I think I will stop there. Um, yeah, I want to follow up on what Commissioner Fisher just said because I think that was, and I, and I Superintendent, I actually had a good conversation about this already, but I think. That's what I don't see as much in this report yet is the, and I guess our, because our job here is to kind of give feedback, right, on this, on our progress toward this guardrail. And the guardrail says teachers will review implementation impact data to progress monitor for continuous improvement, right? So the focus is on teachers. It's not central office. It's not other people. It's not even principals. It's teachers, which I think is the correct goal. And so then the question becomes, as a system, how are we ensuring that that's occurring? And I think what we're seeing is some brilliant bright spots. And I think the, the, that story that you just told is, is really relevant because I think that's been the history of SFUSD, where individual schools with incredible leaders <laughs> like Ms. Edwards do amazing work. And then, but the system in the past has actually sort of ignored them and they had to fly under the radar. I think that's changing, right? I think now clearly it's changing. Here's evidence that it's changing. But I don't see a strategy yet that we have to then, how do we spread those things, right? And I mean, just to, to be real, like I don't, like when we look, when I look at target, um, sorry, strategy one here of setting targets, I mean, like it's just doing some math. It's saying, oh, we gotta add three to our last year's score. That's not, that's not a strategy to actually spread the work that's happening here. And so I think my question maybe, and maybe I'll, rather than asking the, the district leadership, I wanna ask the principals, if you were designing a system to kind of support bright spots and spread the kind of work that you all have been able to do in a district-wide, what would it look like? And if it's okay if you don't have an answer to that, but that's, I'm gonna, I want to open the space if you have yeah. thoughts on that question. I think I, I look at the way the work we're doing at Roosevelt and really starting with the teachers and having their voices be the center of what that would look like. Because I agree, I think it's really smart. Uh, but making sure that teachers are are part of that and leading that conversation of what's going to work for them and work, because that's going to build and build and build. So for me, I. I think that's where it needs to start. I agree. Because as much as, you know, Alita's saying about my leadership, I, my leadership would not be what it is if I didn't have a group of wonderful people and staff. So I feel like that is where it should start with, with them and then move up from there. Thank you. Um, First, thank you to our site leaders for your tremendous work um, as a parent alumni of Roosevelt and former SSC member. I can attest that that has been absolutely the approach of leading with our educators um, 
working in strong collaboration and planning. So I, I really do feel it's been years and years um, in the making and setting that really strong foundation. So thank you. Two questions. One is around um, some of the conversations that have been raised already about the systematizing. How do we go from you know data analysis to action? I'm curious to the superintendent um, or to the uh, RPA team around how then um, will this new approach um, of from analysis to analysis to action? How does that incorporate things like that? We have to uh, submit to CDE like SARC, and I'm just curious to how that makes in thinking forward around then um, strategically around improvements that are gonna be made um, overall for our student experience. I definitely want to, you know, highlight that um, one is data analysis to, uh, analysis to action is something that we discuss pretty extensively in our data conferences. And, you know, we've, we've got at least 52 data conferences that we've scheduled or have finished. So that's a lot of schools. And these conferences are one-on-one -on -one where we are discussing these strategies. So that's one. We learn from principals like them, and then, you know, we are able to even guide and suggest this to other principals as well. Um, that's one strategy, I would say. Two, we also have a lot of programs, such as I would call out the Pitch Initiative, where we do have presentations by principals and them sharing the same kind of you know bright spots. So I don't want to even highlight that. Um, last but not the least, we do have tools that we are giving out along with uh, the monetary, uh, you know, uh, payment to schools to say that um, we call it the IDEA protocol, where um, with every intention we say describe the data. Data can be from the street, map, or uh, assessment data. Then we say the E stands for explain the data, but A stands for how do you act on the data. So the IDEA protocol is something that we have been definitely implementing at the site level. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and one additional. Dr. Wayne, I think I had something to add. My other question then is looking at the sample targets um, for our third grade literacy. Um, be curious to understand then um, you know, for this current year, um, or looking at um, what strategies are we seeing that haven't been working? What are some adjustments potentially that are being adapted? Because we've seen particularly, I won't go dive too deep, but for example, English learners. I feel like I've been pretty consistent from what we've seen, um, have really taken a dive. Um, and so I'm just curious around hearing what strategies aren't working and some adjustments for this year. Um, I, can I, no. oh. okay. 
Um, I wanted to specifically um, appreciate to you your impact on what you've talked about is happening at your school site, um, just because me and my peers' middle school experience wasn't always fantastic, and it just makes me really emotional in a great way to hear that my peers' struggles, my educators' struggles, and all of that feedback for so many years has culminated into these bright spots. And also to hear about that, what sounds like a sense of belonging that you're creating for your students. So I'm also wondering, for these bright spots, do we also have numbers for sense of belonging? Because, um, and could we view those as well? Just because I think that's a data point that we really need to put a lot more focus on, especially in presentations like these. Because at the end of the day, a lot of this is culminating to, or is the result of a higher sense of belonging. And I'm wondering where that data is available. In the slides, we did point out sense of belonging, but the data is available um, at the site level. You know, um, the sense of belonging rates are given for the last five years. And then also I, I heard commissioners' comments on systematizing. And I think that there are a lot of elements that can be systematized, but I think what I'm hearing and also what I've noticed in my own educational experience is that when teachers are given the infrastructure required to have the space and the time to get feedback from their individual students and from students specifically at their school site and survey those students for what they specifically need, that is when they're able to make a lot of change, specifically within grade level amongst all educators and I think that there should be a focus on that as well, because if we're going to talk about equity, we have to talk about each individual school site and each individual classroom. Thank you. I also want to thank all of you for um, all of the initiatives that have contributed to making the student um, more belonging at school, like the Beacon Center and having cultural clubs. We actually have that at Washington High School and I've seen the impact that it's had on like student government and making like cultural fairs and all of these fun activities that weren't existing at our school prior to that. And I see that contributing to multiple grade levels like in middle school and elementary schools. And then also like the book club system, you know, picking a book and sharing with the staff and reflecting. That's also something I've seen that's really effective. And then we're such a diverse school district with like a plethora of identities. And I think it's so important that you guys have communication with all these families because without this communication, people might feel kind of locked out and we don't have that support. And that really reflects with the chronic absentee rates and all the data that has improved. So I just want to congratulate you guys. Um, yeah, thank you. No, and I, I appreciate the, the question because I realized, like, oh, so focused on like what we are doing, had to think for a moment. Well, you know, are we what are we, you know, not doing? And it, to some extent, it's it's by what we are doing, it's saying what we are going to, you know, strategically abandon. So I'll give three ex three examples. 
you know, so one is just even around the use of assessment, right? We had a lot of conversation around this last year. And so saying, you know, we are going to have um, new, new interim assessments that are, um, you know, more standards aligned and aligned to uh, giving us an indication of student progress at, uh, at grade level standards. And, uh, you know, secondly, even with our approach to um, curriculum and again, like appreciating schools went on their own to focus on foundational skills because district wide we, you know, we had inconsistent approaches to that and and had a an orientation of developing our own curriculum, which has its, you know, can have its benefits, but we didn't see the results we've we've needed to see. So we're doing the pilot in literacy to have literacy, and we we just actually launched our math audit, and we'll be looking at our math curriculum uh, as well, and then. Um, you know, and then I think what, again, so it's kind of focusing on what, what we, we have done is in terms of when we're talking about the systemic approaches, we, you know, with so many schools, schools have their own unique needs, but we need to be clear on like, what do we want to see consistent district-wide? And so basically saying, you can't have the only time where we say that is like one PD at the beginning of the year. That's why we've had these monthly interactions that we're starting with, with school sites. So I guess it's uh, subtraction by addition. Call my answer. Um, I, I have a couple questions. One is, I'm just curious about how cohort data is informing how we track this. So it's not just, you know, an ever turning new set of third graders that we're looking at or eighth graders. So how is the lead up as we look at these at the goals and the guardrails? How are we mapping and seeing progress? Um, within cohorts or not seeing pro progress? How does that factor in the work that RPA is doing and the data dives that, um, that you all are doing? So when we do this, uh, the data dive at the central level, they are looking at their cohort data. And um, they do look at it in, with both lenses, from the performance lens as well as from the growth lens. So. Um, I think there was a question asked in the board reports where it was matched data. So we did go back and look at matched data, and now we'll incorporate it in all the uh, coming reports. But even looking at matched data, we didn't see any difference in the results that you know we looked at. So whether it was unmatched or matched data, the cohort um, gave the same results. I think part of what, why I'm asking is so when um, site leaders are monitoring progress, are they all? Are, are you also seeing yes. how um, growth and performance within cohort groups are moving? In, you know, we have these set targets, but it's not like we just care about if third graders are reading. We we care about if all of our kids are reading. And so, are you also um, having access and reviewing data, data around? progress and opportunity within the cohorts as well as these, okay, all right. Um, and then I was just curious, um, and this is building on questions that have come before, how much of this great work that you're doing, um, the, the sunshine calls, the um, shared collaborative time, and you know the many other portfolio night, all these things, how much of this is reflective of your individual leadership or the, um, the group of teachers that you're working with versus um, district supported or 
suggested or normalized activities? Uh, so the demonstrations of learning was a district initiative that my teachers um, wanted to do. So that came directly from the district. They're not doing it this year, but we're continuing it because it was so successful. We decided not only, at first it was for third, fourth, and fifth grade, but they were so uh, excited by it. We brought it down to K-2. So now our whole school is doing it at different levels. You know, kindergarten and fifth grade are doing it very differently, but we're doing it school-wide. But it was initially a district initiative. And I think at Roosevelt, I came in with Initiate Wonder already set. So I came into a staff already bought in, ready to go. So I was very lucky to be able to come in and just say, okay, we're here. How do we get here? And I think with the Sunshine Calls, I was the principal after distance learning. So when I came in, I said the first month, we are focusing on building relationships and you know making sure our kids feel okay at school. And that's a big priority for me, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, with middle school, they're hard years. So what are we doing to make sure that our kids feel good and that our families feel good? And so that's a big priority in the way I lead. So I'm hearing it was very much because of um, the, I mean, in many ways, the individual leadership. And so looking back at the presentation, one of the things and going back to the questions is that support, scale, and action. And so how are, not just the learnings from the data dives, but the, the kinds of behaviors that are um, demonstrating improvements in attendance, improvements at schools with sense of belonging. I'm, I'm curious about how those are being um, identified, mapped, and shared, and also how it expands into K through 12 coherency and sharing um, through our, you know, each, the entire cohort as they move through our system. Okay. I mean, because I actually heard it mixed. I didn't hear, I heard, what, no, what I heard is, and, and Ritsu spoke to this, that there's structures that the district has helped put in place to support the kind of professional learning and conversations what we, that we want to have um, and, and professional development opportunities. What I heard, though, is how that, how that time is used. Um, it, you know, there's offerings, but maybe it's not consistent. Uh, you know, that's where we can look at consistent, you know, um, uh, look at what we want to do district-wide that's consistent, recognizing if we try to manage every one of those minutes, you know, that's not going to be effective because we don't know what's happening at each school. So, like, what's the balance between what are some, you know, as you're saying, like, what do we want to scale? What are some actions? We say, like, you know, these are promising practices, try them, versus like, this is what we expect everybody yeah, to do. Yeah, so I wasn't suggesting yeah. that it should all be, I don't I don't want it to be all top right. down, but I'm, I'm more just for kind of to the original question of uh, Vice President Weissman Ward, is what are the opportunities to share within um, cohort schools, but also as a, as a district, I mean, it doesn't just relate to what is happening in one middle school. I mean, it can grow from there. Thank you. So what we're going to do, I'm going to offer up my question, and then I think we maybe will transition if there aren't additional questions from commissioners, or we can dive deeper if that is what is the desire. Um, I think the thing that I'm curious about um, is what kind of analysis have we done on kind of 
where we're at in relationship to the projected targets versus the actuals, and if there was any analysis or anything learned from that. I think what I'm slightly concerned about, I think everything within the approach feels right. I guess, how are we gauging sites' individual capacity to meet the goals that they have, given the constraints they have around staffing or facilities or other things of that nature? Um, and kind of what do those conversations look like when you are meeting with the site, having the conversation about data, and they don't necessarily feel confident that they can fully reach those goals? And how are we addressing that? Um, to essentially support them to be successful versus um, failing to, to reach the goals. Um, I mean, I think this is, uh, you're seeing our theory of action kind of at, at the beginning of the, of the process. So, um, you know, I know in the uh, cohorts, meaning like, you know, every, like they said, they have their cohort meetings and then they work with their executive director. So we now have these targets and these equity enhanced targets. And so then I think the, the question you're asking and is, okay, during the year as we're, you know, implementing these new interim assessments and seeing our progress, like what opportunities are there for the schools to, you know, change their action or reflect on their progress and get feedback on it and shift. And I think it's going to be through those cohort meetings and through then the interactions with the, um, uh, uh, you know, with the uh, lead team as they're working on with the school leaders on our progress towards our goals. So then I, I guess for clarity, in those types of situations, is your expectation that the site will receive all the additional supports and resources they need so that they're confident that they can reach the goal, or are the goal is going to be adjusted to the constraints of the site and balance proportionally to what they're capable to do? Because I guess what I'm concerned about is I feel that for a long time in the district there has been a consistent practice of setting goals and as conditions change and people don't have access to the resources to be successful, the goals don't change, people don't reach the goals, and then people don't talk about them because there's all these concerning factors. And I guess just making sure that as we go through this process and we're having these conversations, we have confidence that we will hit the goals and confidence that we're able to identify issues before we reach the final goal completion date so that we can support folks to be successful. And I guess I'm just curious how we're thinking about that approach. And maybe that's a conversation for another time that we can come back to. But I feel like for me, I just want to make sure that we aren't creating false expectations that we aren't fully supporting and resourcing at the school site level. Because I feel like we've had some issues with that in the past and our, our students and families, I mean staff have suffered from burnout and overcommitment. Um, and I just really want to make sure we don't fall down those, those habits again. Yeah, I appreciate that and as we're still um, you know, relatively new to this process, we, I think where I feel more, more confident until we see the results, but I feel like we set some interim goals that we're working really hard to meet, and those are, you know, we're going to see progress of those in a few months. Where I get concerned is if, uh, I'll even go back to it, like when you look at our annual targets, right, this is where, um, uh, this is where, you know, if you go back to, um, you know, like, uh, actually this one. Right, you know, we, you know, we have for next year 10% growth to be on track in math. 
that's going to be really difficult to to achieve. And so I want to look at, so I appreciate. I think what you're saying here is I think this is the spirit of the process. There's spaces we're doing the interim interim goals and aligning our resources to support them. If we're seeing there's room to say if we're off target, like. Okay, so what are we going to do about that, including looking at the goal, the, the, you know, our trajectory and, you know, how will we adjust our trajectory if necessary? But I hear the first question we should really be answering is how are we making sure we've done everything possible with our, you know, the resources we have to ensure we're on target. But um, so, uh, again, in summary, interim goals, feel more confident and we'll see where they go. When we get to the annual progress, I think we're going to, we'll see the conversation we have next year. Okay, we'll go to additional round of comments. We'll start with our student delegates and then we'll give folks another round and see where we land on the conversation before we start our next presentation. Um, I was just interested in how we look at progress outside of one specific school site. For example, a student who goes to a school or a set of schools that has a certain, like, a sense of belonging percentage above or below a certain rate and how that prepares them for, example, if they went to an elementary school with those statistics and then how that prepares them for eighth grade math and then how that further, how their middle school site and even their elementary school site prepares them for college readiness and whether those school sites have access to that data or whether that data that consistently follows children from specific school sites or a specific set of school sites, whether that data exists following them. Thank you for the question. Um, it does, we do, the, they can see the trajectory of the of progress through the school years. Um, the highest correlation that we have seen with academic data is actually around attendance. You know, where we've seen that um, for students who have an attendance of 90% or more, you can see within that group, the proficiency rates are much higher than 52. They're like almost at 70%. And for uh, the group which has 80% or less attendance, that group, the proficiency rates are as low as 17%. So you know you can see the difference, right? So uh, the highest correlate we have seen is around attendance. Um, with regards to all the social emotional uh, measures, especially since the pandemic, there are schools that actually even monitor it throughout the year. So you know we have they have the ability within our system to create some smaller social emotional measures or questions and give like a quick survey and analyze the results even mid-year, not waiting till the end of year to know how the progress goes. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander. Thank you. Can we go to the slide with the school A, B, and C on it? Because um, I wanted to come back actually to your point around resource allocation. Because um, my concern, and as I said earlier, I don't think, I really don't think strategy one is a strategy of just publishing targets, but, but to the extent that this is happening, um, my concern, no, the next, yeah.
<laughs> yeah, this one. And see, one more there. Thank you. So my concern with this is that, I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, in terms of targets, I think it makes perfect sense. But to me, the concern is if this is not matched to resource allocations, this is telling School C, which is already the one that's struggling the most, or, or let's put it differently, I don't like the language baseline capability because it makes it sound like the schools or the students aren't capable. I think they're all very capable, but the students may have higher needs, more challenges. So now we're saying to School C, you have to make more growth, but if it's not tied to more resources or in a strategy, like that, that all that's doing, that's a recipe for burnout. Uh, for the educators and cynicism. So that's my concern, is if we're gonna set targets for schools in particular, I think we need to be, I mean, I guess my, let me try to frame it as a question since we're supposed to be asking questions. It's like, what's our, what, how is this linked to resource allocation, I guess is my question. I'm assuming there's some thinking around that, but I think we need to talk about it together. Okay, I'm gonna start first by, I, I do take off, and this is not, this is baseline capability of the school. It has nothing to do with students, so I want to make sure I make that clear. Um, in terms of baseline capability, it was before the pandemic, that was what the school had produced as an average, and so that's what we want to say that, yes, the school is capable of that. That's the reason we call it baseline capability. But I think it's an excellent question that both you and uh, President Bogus has put into our minds. We are going to be doing one-on-one uh, -on -one data conferences with each and every equity-enhanced target school. And we will make sure to ask them that, that question that you just posed. What we are asking them right now is what programs, resources at your site can you use to reach these targets? But we will ask them about how realistic are these targets or how realistic is it that to, you know, these resources match the targets? Well, and then just um, see, because uh, these, these are real schools, right? And so... We have our, um, you know, we, we do have different allocations, though, for schools with different needs. Yes. Um, but I'm not sure how aligned that is to the, if we've actually aligned that to the target. So I can likely, uh, I don't know what school, is school C, but I can likely say, you know, school C is getting some additional resources. Uh, but this is part of that whole shift of having a resource alignment towards our goals. Yeah. We'll go to uh, Commissioner Lamb next. So I just wanted to follow up, you know, for my question is then, I think we've been talking around it, is to be able to understand then what are the strategies that are delivering that growth or meeting um, the goal? Because I think we've had um, resources allocations to sites, either it be through MTSS, local control funding formula, and I think it's really about the strategy that at least at the board level and the governance team level, we are um, needing to continue to monitor. And this is part of the crux of the monitoring piece is what are the strategies that are working, turning that to continue action, and then the, the scaling and the supports. So I just wanted to tie that back. Did you want to respond or no? Okay. 
Um, again, I don't know the page number, but this is Guardrail 3.2. I don't know if you can bring it up. On. So this is with the flowchart of inputs, activities, outputs, and outcomes, and then impact. And I just want to um, mention that historically, teachers and others in this district, and families and even site leaders, have been really suspect with, about using SBAC, uh, state-mandated cumulative testing, um, as our metric for how we do. It's, it is the metric, but there, and it's not gonna change anytime soon, but um, how, when we get to this part where it says, thereby teachers across sites will increasingly review implementation and impact data to plan and provide targeted instruction, when we have such a huge, I mean, I'm not projecting just because I'm not really happy with SBAC, but I've seen this in the conversations I've had for decades about this with other in educators in the field, particularly here in San Francisco, that there's such resistance, and rightfully so, I think, many times, to utilizing this type of data to set goals, and we had this discussion when we were making our goals too, but this is where we landed. How do we get to the point where our everyday instructor actually does this? Like, is that a realistic, is that something that we can actualize when we have so many folks that are just really not happy with the actual testing model that we utilize? Um, because it is problematic, and and I'm just wondering, because that's kind of where we end up before we get to the impact. So that's the outcomes. Yeah. And maybe I think, um, appreciate you bringing us to this slide, too, because this is when you ask, like, what's the strategy, or what, like, this is the theory of action behind it. And then I'll get to your question, but it's just making me reflect, like, again, we're, we're working on uh, this progress monitoring. And right now, um, for every goal and guardrail, asking to see what's our theory of action behind it. And then you're illuminating some things that might be helpful in future progress monitoring about uh, you know, delineating the strategies and resources related to that theory of action. So that being said, though, to your question, I was going to say, uh, is, yeah, I mean, again, we've had these conversations. That's why I've talked about the street data framework. So I'm actually going to turn it back over to our site leaders to say, you know, the theory of action is not you see the SBAC data and now you will act. It's there's the, the, the then you will and the thereby. So, I mean, you spoke to it some, but if you want to speak to more, uh, you know, so how do you bridge that gap? Because you're right, our teachers are not excited like, okay, I got the SBAC scores, now I'm going to plan my seventh grade math. But there is a link between the satellite data and the street data. So what we're doing, and this is something we are starting this year, is we put together, so me and I have a part-time ERF, put together a lot of the data. So we put SBAC, but we also put sense of belonging. We put culture and climate data we did last year. We put in a lot, and we said, choose two or three that you want to look at that are interesting to you because we felt that that would be a way for our educators to really engage more deeply in the data. Um, this is the first time we're doing it, so we're going to see how it turns out when we have our staff meeting, but it's something we're going to continue to do because I think I agree that like, we can't just have that one piece. It's like we've got to have so many different, and so this year we're going to really try and get more of the empathy interviews, get more street data at our site to hear directly from our students because I was really hearing the student representatives talking about that of like where can we get that authentic voice of what that experience is, both academically and social-emotionally. Uh, and we also have empathy interviews and other data besides the SBAC. We do look at the SBAC, but then we uh, look at other data, street data, empathy interviews with, um, with uh, students. 
We are also looking forward to the new STAR assessment because we can all do it at the same time and then look at the data at the same time as a group, whereas before, because we had to get substitutes and it, you know, it was such a wide range of dates in between each um, time the teachers or the students took the test that it was very difficult to do something school-wide. So this data allows us to look at it as a school, uh, look where, where the children are, and we can um, talk about next steps together. And I, so we're looking forward to doing that and hoping that uh, we'll get some good outcomes from that. I was just gonna, it's it's such a, it's so great having site leaders here, so thank you. And before we close, I just wanted to um, ask if there's anything you wanna share with us, because we're going through this process. We've you know established the goals and guardrails. We're working with the superintendent, and we're going to be you know going through resource allocation in a very constrained environment. And I would love to hear if there's anything that you want to make sure that we know um, especially around systems of support and scale and, and um, bringing the things that you know are working to action, but also things that may be, you know, a, a welcome, you know, constructive thoughts about things that we could do better. Um, I just, I'd, I'd love to hear um, your perspective. So one thing I will say is I've been the principal for 15 years and We've had you know, ups and downs throughout the 15 years, but as soon as we start to do better, they say, oh, well, you don't need these supports and start to take them away. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, you're not doing well. You need some supports. Here are some supports. Oh, you're doing better. We need to take the supports away. So more consistency in keeping those supports because I feel like those supports that we have are just what we need in order to do what we need to do in schools. It's not something that you can take away. It is just what we need. So more consistency in keeping those supports would be really good. Can you and um, can you identify some specific examples of supports? So we had an artif uh, that was really good at um, looking and seeing where children that needed that extra support, and that was taken away from us because we're we're no longer a, a tier that needed that received those supports, and that was a devastating blow to us, and took us a while to realize what we could do without that support. So that's just one specific. Over the years, I've, I've lost earths and uh, social workers, and they came back and back and forth. I mean, I could talk a whole <laughs> But that's, lately, that is this one specific thing. I think, for me, I started working in middle schools in San Francisco. I have never left middle schools in San Francisco. I love this age group. Um, and having the dedicated calming planning time that Initiate Wonder provides takes so much stress off of my teachers because before, I remember calming planning time was for 40 minutes before school when you were already stressed out and trying to get ready. And so now it is this protected time outside of preparation period. So teachers are like, okay, this is our time to actually do some deeper work. And that's been great for me to be able to you know, give them things to be thinking about and talking about. Um, I just, 
it, it's just a really, it's a great thing for teachers that inevitably is going to, you know, it helps our students, so. With the commentary on SBAC testing, I wanna say from the student perspective, there's a lack of understanding for what our SBAC tests, how they affect our school site. And that effect shouldn't necessarily be placed on students, that pressure of being told like, oh, you guys didn't do good this year and we lost money. But just knowing, cause I know that we get told a mix of things a lot of the time because some of our educators aren't given the opportunity to be fully informed on how those SBAC scores are going to affect our school site. So then occasionally we're told they don't matter. And then I know that there's probably some skewings of data because I've watched kids genuinely leave the essay section blank because they're not told that it means anything or that the district is actually looking at each individual school site and each individual grade level how that's playing out and I think that having more resources for students, families, and on the ground educators to understand what those SBAC tests mean and also what ongoing discussions are about the continued use of them and also whether they're like their ethicality, et cetera, would be incredibly helpful. Okay, and with that, we will transition to the second part of our presentation, and I'll hand it back over to the superintendent. I'll be brief. And then. Uh, okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Let's give. Yeah, let's give. Uh, I was so focused on this, I forgot. Oh yeah, we have a part two. <laughs> so, um, the uh, yeah, and I, I really appreciate the um, presentations and the conversations. So, I think um, at our at our um, governance evaluation, we were looking at what. Um, is the criteria to be a board of education and governance team engaged in student outcomes focused governance? And one of them was to have you know interim smart interim goals and guardrails that represent what we think will um, is progress towards meeting those goals and guardrails, and that are in the smart goal format. Um, and so we noticed when reviewing them that not all of them were in the smart goal format. And some we had shared that was, we were you know, trying to figure out the best way to, uh, ex to express what this guardrail might look like in terms of a, a measure that we would monitor. And so since then we've, uh, we're presenting here our revised, uh, mainly revised interim um, interim guardrails. Uh, and so this is not for the board to approve, but it's for the board uh, an opportunity to give feedback. And ultimately, if these interim guardrails don't seem to capture what we think the uh, guardrails and our values are, there is an opportunity for the board to revisit, like, well, are we expressing the guardrail in the appropriate way, or what, what does that look like? So with that, what you see in the presentation is, in red, is what has been changed since the last time you, um, 
uh, you saw this. And so actually I'm going to ask Dr. Khanna to talk about the early warnings indicator. That's the only interim goal that we changed. Uh, can you speak to that one, please, while I get to it? Yeah, sure. Um, what we want. Or this one? Or this one. She's got the right deck, yeah. The right deck. Yeah. So with regards to the early warning indicators, what we wanted to do was see success at the end of ninth grade. And that's the reason we've changed the interim goals so that, you know, we can say that what are some of the strategies that are employed at that transition grade of ninth grade and which will help some of the students who are suffering with early warning indicators. Early warning <coughs> indicators are indicators that they are at risk of graduating, okay? So uh, what are some of the interventions or strategies that we do in ninth grade to help turn that around, okay? So that's the reason it was reframed to make it a ninth grade initiative. Thank you. So then if you go um, to the guardrail, so for the first one, this is one where, yeah, they weren't really smart goals. So you're trying to think, well, what does it look like to be, you know, to engage our families and include our families? So I uh, appreciate the RPA team you know, looking at research about community engagement uh, has identified an implementation rubric. And so, you know, we made a lot of decisions in the past where we didn't have any guidance of what that looked like. So we're saying for this year, like the way we previously had identified the guardrail, but it wasn't really a smart goal, was to identify five major decisions. So we've identified those. So saying for those, we should be able to show at the innovative level how we're including um, our educational partners and how we're creating opportunities for two-way engagement. And then um, we also have uh, developed, and so I wanted to be explicit that, yeah, for some we still don't have baseline data, but be very clear, like we will be collecting data at a particular time. So here we have um, the um, uh, uh, baseline data we'll be collecting from those who participate in the decision making, um, their uh, percent satisfied. And then uh, AJ Crabble gave some helpful feedback. He said, don't, you know, don't put don't put, in, if you don't have the data, don't put a target percentage until you really see what the baseline uh, baseline is. So that's why the numbers change to an X. Um, if we go to the next one, we just, uh, part of being a smart goal is saying what the measurement will be. So we made that, um, made that clear. To go to the next one. And the other thing is we really try to have um, interim guardrails, like not create whole new buckets of work for this. So you've heard us talk about the core rubric um, and the QTEA survey. So just using those, and again, recognize, just wanted to be explicit, like when you should expect to see baseline data, and then we'll be clear on what the change will be. If you go to the next one, um, again, we just have some updated data around our staffing, so we put, put that in. 4.2 was one of those ones that wasn't really a smart goal. And so since we're talking about resource allocation, um, you know, we're looking at, we went through a process to uh, realize some savings and then continuing that process for this year. Uh, and then if you go to the last one, um, really thought about like in uh, working, what does it mean to work in strategic partnership? 
And while that's where a lot of people are collaborating with their partners, that maybe how I'm spending my time as a leader of the organization might be a helpful indication of like, are we working with our partners? So I actually did an analysis of my calendar of how much time I'm spending with those who are um, outside the district. So that refers to like our city partners, uh, foundations, um, universities, and then uh, looking to see that increase uh, when I look at my calendar for the next year and cultivating those partnerships. So those are the changes and uh, yeah, so there are various questions asked about them and so this is, it's not, this is more like if there's feedback or questions or guidance about like why this measure and if you have any other suggestions, I, mean, I guess we're still at a point where we can, we can adjust some of these, uh, but at least when we do our next evaluation, they're all in smart goal format uh, and um, yeah, and it can be measured accordingly. Thank you for the brief presentation. Uh, now we'll see if there's questions or comments from commissioners. I will start us off and then we'll kind of see um, where we go and, and also if, if there's any broad feedback on kind of how everything is sitting with folks to, to give um, the superintendent and his team as well. Um, definitely appreciate the updates that were made and making sure everything is in kind of the format that we're looking for. Um, definitely appreciate the intention and the thought that's kind of gone into this through the whole planning process. I, I do still feel like for some of the interim goals and guardrails, primarily the guardrails, that they don't necessarily match up with what I think I had in mind initially when we were creating the guardrails. Um, I'm not necessarily sure what would be better measures based off the data that we have, but I think I am really interested in whether or not these things are going to tell us after we get all the data from them, the key things that we need to know to measure whether or not we're on track to kind of be successful, even though they're all really important things. I'm not sure if, if they're the things that I would view as the most foundational to kind of our success. And so I think as we go through this process, we get this data in and we start the process of analyzing it, I'll be really interested to see how we're able to to show that these are the correct interims or if we're needing to adjust how we kind of are able to do that and ensure that we're being um, the most impactful um, that we can be. Um, so those are, are my thoughts in general. No need for a response unless there is one that you're hankering to do. And then we'll go with our student delegates and then we'll go around and see what other commissioners want to do. Um, I'd like to appreciate uh, for on slide seven interim goals for goal three um, interim goal number 3.1 was changed um, from decreasing to increasing and I think that that intentional choice of language is very powerful and I think it shows that we are climbing towards something as opposed to trying to detract, even though it would be a positive detraction, it's still that choice of language definitely sets a more positive tone. And then also I'd like to ask a question about, I think it's guardrail two and specifically 2.3. I don't necessarily understand that um, guardrail says reduce disproportionality of African American and black students referred to special education um, in other health impairment and emotional disturbance categories. So does that mean specifically like students being misreferred to those categories as in like wrongly referred or 
is it okay? Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's so, and we chose this measure because again, we tried to, you know, in areas where we're doing work, like how do we, uh, you know, strengthen the work and monitor progress. So wonder was called coordinated, comprehensive coordinated early intervention services. You get a, this designation when and you disproportionately refer students to special education. So you know there are going to be a, you know, a typical number of students who referred. And so the, this is an area where we have disproportionately referred students, and um, and we have a, a C, what we call a CSAFE plan to help address this. So then this is monitoring the progress of that. I want to just announce before we continue with commissioners' comments and student delegates, just want to remind folks that we are going to have public comment on all items after we finish this part of the discussion. If you haven't submitted a card, please do. Just want to kind of let folks know before we get to public comment. Sorry. Thank you. I want to acknowledge the importance of guardrail number one, effective decision making. Um, I've seen the impact it's had on like PAC councils and developing new committees. And that's just so important because we're expanding the voices that are involved in the decision making and advisory um, processes. And just having all of these voices that are usually not included and misrepresented um, is so important. And I just want to say thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think um, just acknowledging that these, some of the guardrails in particular are hard to measure, as I think uh, President Bogus said. But I did have some questions about number one. Um, well, I guess my question is for one guardrail 1.3, when it says percentage of participants satisfied with major decision-making processes will increase from the baseline, um, does participants there mean the people that the general populace as it says in the rubric kind of the people generally impacted or does it mean the members of the working committees the working committees okay so then I guess my concern with number one and the way they're all framed is that it is that there is this real focus on the committees and I think at least my understanding of the intention of guardrail one was that it was well what it says is people who are going to be impacted by the decisions so I think the danger of using only measures that that reflect the committees, I mean, I think that makes sense to have, I'm not saying we shouldn't have the committees, but I think that to me the measure is, did the people who were impacted by the decisions feel like they had an opportunity to be consulted? So just yeah. comment there. I think we have some, we have a survey designed for all three committees on that uh, question. So the yeah. degree of satisfaction, even from the general populace, will become a part of their survey of how satisfied were they with the information that they gave. Wait, wait. For, the, for the working committee, we do have, this is where we are measuring this goal. But it's not that for the general population, too, when we ask them for their input. Wait. <laughs> We're measuring, I'm the, the, the survey that's being designed is for the committee. Yes. So yes. Then it's for not the working for the, committee. For the working committee. So it's not for the general populace. But for the general population, too, we have a survey that we are going to be asking. Oh, but we haven't measured. But it's not, it's not just not one of the measures. No. It's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, this one we're not doing until December, so. Yeah, well, that's that just my feedback. Yeah. yeah, I hear that point. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Oh, so I had a general question. Um, thank you for the updates on the guardrails. Um, and 
I, I was one of the people that had a lot of questions that were referred to other monitoring sessions. And so my question is, how can we, the board, and how can the public expect to stay up to date in between calendared board meetings so that we have um, awareness or confidence that things are working or just awareness if there's, there's things that are, are falling behind? So w what are the mechanisms that we can expect to be updated and have progress reports? Because otherwise, it's, it's, there's, there's big gaps. In time. Yeah, big guy. Um, so let me, uh, I'll, I'll take that as a question to provide a response to in future monitoring sessions. Because I hear what you're saying. You're right. We're going to, like, next month we're going to attendance and we're not going to hear about attendance for a while, but we just heard how critical attendance is to our student outcomes. So how might we communicate our progress around attendance until before waiting until, because then I think the next one around that is May. So, yeah, but I don't have a system. I don't think we have a system yeah. yet. I mean, do you have any suggestions of how we can do all like a, the goals Some sort of dashboard that's regularly internally updated um, that could then okay. have some public facing element that's even just posted to our the web pages that are related to our goals and guardrails so that it's a more dynamic updating process. And I, you know, frequency could be quarterly, but I, I, have, I have hankered for some sort of dashboard where I can see, um, you know, click through, and you can imagine what I might hanker yeah. for. Um, but yeah, so that would okay. be, I think that would be helpful. Um, okay. And also just for the general public that wants to see how progress is going yeah. or if there's, you know, associated activities that they can engage with to get information. And I think, uh, no, I appreciate that. I need to think, that's what I'm saying, like, need to think how to do it. So if uh, uh, Dr. Khanna doesn't mind my, uh, you know, uh, appreciating her for being a data nerd. She was so excited this afternoon to share, like, the new assessments. You actually can have a dashboard um, aligned to our vision, uh, aligned to our goals in the interim guardrails. But then thinking how we present that publicly and all that, we, we got to work through. And, and then for the guardrails, there's less, just need to do some thinking, thinking through. But for some, we could do more quickly, I think, because they're already, they're being built into the systems we have. Um, so that was, uh, she was very excited to see that. Yes, that's some are squishy. But, but, but her excitement was uh, visible yeah, as, our, as I just, our data leader. I, I do want to also say something about the attendance is the only one that's a leading indicator because it is actually changing all the time. Um, some of these are lagging indicators in terms of we only actually measure the interim twice a year. So we should be mindful. Yeah, I mean, I think some explanation, though, were since we have, and anyways, just some, some way, because otherwise it feels like it can be forgotten. And as the principal mentioned before, when you have assessments and then time goes by and you, and you know, so much time goes by that it's not really, doesn't feel relevant anymore or it doesn't feel up to date. So that was the one thing. And uh, so I, I am continuing both my written and now verbal request for such information. Um, so guardrail five, I did want to better understand with what it, what the measurement of increase the time the superintendent engages with strategic partners from 6% to 10% as measured by, what, what does that, what do you anticipate that that will tell you about um, collaboration and how do you define the strategic partners. I, I, I'm just trying to understand how that is a helpful 
measure around our partnerships? Um, the way we measured this was we actually took random uh, 10 dates from his calendar and saw how, what percent of it was distributed for external partnerships versus internal work. Uh, so that's how we computed the baseline. And we'll do the same for the next. The idea was more around uh, both advocacy and bringing in partners. So it was both around uh, that kind of a relationship that would help the guardrail. So both advocacy of the district and bringing in partners. I mean, I'm still quantity over over purpose. I guess is is what I'm trying to understand how that helps. But I can I I've been hogging, so I can move on. I'm just going to flag that. Actually, I I, um, I I that's helpful. <laughs> just the little contrast you made right there to and so at least to um, yeah. So I, I you know what I think. Dr. Connor was saying right at the end is what some of the purposes, the advocacy and the engagement. So let me think a little bit more how that would be communicated through this. Um. So I, I have a, um, I'm looking at um, interim guardrails for guardrail three, but a similar um, vein theme of question in terms of the qualitative versus quantitative. And I noticed that for example, 3.1 and 3.3 seem to have both quantitative and qualitative. 3.1 is, you know, implemented a high quality tier. 3.3 reported receiving meaningful feedback. And 3.2, and I appreciate that the slides that we just looked at in the other presentation, where that does, I guess I'll just say 3.2, I don't see that same um, qualitative uh, threshold there. And to be clear, I'm not assuming that teachers are going to review the data just to check the box, but if we are including some type of qualitative statement for the others, are we intentionally not including it here? Is it because we assume they're going to reference the SQL question, which says, I reviewed assessment data to continually improve instruction, which means that there's meaningful thought going to the review. But I don't know whether it needs to be changed or whether there's um, maybe just a link to the QTEA survey so that there are the question is there, just something that uh, there's a little bit more um, fullness in, in understanding exactly why we should care about whether they're reviewing the data and to what end. Um, thank you so much for mentioning that. I think in our, um, in the building capacity slide, we did mention that we are going to collect street data through artifacts of how schools are using data to inform instruction or to inform planning. And those artifacts is what we are going to put up on our website as our street data. So it's our own street data. But um, within this, you know, we, we also, there is also an open-ended section where we, they actually ask, what data did you use and how did it help you? So I guess we'll even summarize that qualitative part. Right. And I do think, oh, sorry, I do think like the progress monitor for continuous improvement of instruction, that's, that's like the qualitative piece of what, and so yeah. what Dr. Kano was saying is like, well, here's some ways we would see what that means, but you're right. That's it's missing the adjective that the others have, like yeah. high quality, meaningful. I just, I wonder if, if yeah. an adjective sure, could. Yeah. yeah.
All right. Thank you um, for the opportunity to have this discussion. No surprise, I will go to Guardrail 5 since I was the one obsessing about Guardrail 5 and strategic partnerships during the process. I think overall, just, just some general feedback. For 5.3, I was always intrigued around the internships being listed under this guardrail. For me as a high school parent, I always considered this more within goal three of career and college readiness. While I certainly understand um, the partnerships that need to be in place in order to have such a robust internships and, um, and successful programs that we have had um, and really appreciate the opportunities for our high school students to be paid in their summer internships, to get credit, you know. So anyhow, that's just, I feel like it's more tactical. Um, and I think overall, my feedback for the interim goals, or I'm sorry, interim guardrails for five, is more my intention was intrigued around how is the district demonstrating its increasing of its partnership. So for example, I'm also very intrigued by our fund development approaches, like through philanthropy, and how is that being leveraged? So over time, in an annual basis, how much growth are we seeking in philanthropy to leverage public-private partnership as just an example? Um, I think that's where I was actually more interested in learning um, from the superintendent around those strategic partnerships and also understanding that it's not just one person that's really responsible for the superintendent himself and through his calendar, but it's really about um, the impact or kind of the change because of these engagements. Here, how is it advancing our overall goals and student goals? No, I, I yeah, I, I hear that. And, and actually, for the third one, where I feel like that does more represent what you were after, the reason why I say that is because we actually heard in our college and career readiness update, remember that we couldn't get an MOU with the city because to help increase the number of internships. So that's, I think, the kind of like, so how, how do we work together? And I, both sides want that to happen, right? So how do we work together to make that happen? But I hear what you're saying then, you know, overall, like, uh, it's, it's similar to what Commissioner Matamadi said, like around the impacts uh, on this. Yeah, so you've just awoken my reminder of the SFPUC MOU, right? That's been over five years. That's a strategic partnership, but wouldn't necessarily be on your calendar or, um, but would be hugely impactful and revenue generating for the district. So, I mean, I'm looking for, when I think about strategic partnerships, I'm e either looking for direct benefit to students or um, cost savings or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, fiscal improvement or, or operational improvement that doesn't necessarily have land on your calendar. It's not necessarily a talking thing. I have one more comment around guardrail for resource allocation. Um, to understand um, with 4.2, you know, increasing unrestricted general fund and how that, and we've had a lot of discussion about um, 
this is around allocation to transparently communicate. And so I think really being able to understand, particularly for at the site level, like how that educational experience will go. And we've heard actually tonight from our site leaders, right? Um, and families also being, a, and students being able to understand um, with that resource allocation, what will that experience, and our educators, what will that experience be at the school sites? I have a, I need to look at something. So go to the next question. I may have a response to that. Okay, I'll stretch a little bit. I'll monologue <laughs> while you look for I'll, that. I'll be listening okay. to you. I just gotta. Well, I just, I keep going back to all the IEP meetings that I've sat in where we have amazing case managers who write fantastic goals for their students. And then you get into the IEP meeting and the educator who's written the goal has one thing in mind and the family and the advocate and you know the the, the after school provider and everyone else has no idea how to interpret that goal and um and so uh shout out to all the great case managers out there who are probably um you know sitting there with their bowl of popcorn you know Stephen curry meme but um Stephen curry meme but um i think where i did i give you enough time yet or should i okay Okay, um, my focus is unsurprisingly on guardrail number one and effective decision making. And in that vein, um, you know, writing the goal, you know, intent versus impact, right? Making sure that um, when we talk, you know, it's per we say things in here, particularly from our underserved populations, plural, underserved populations is plural, how many? you know, and which ones, right? So I think, like, if if we hear from one, does that check the box? Do we need to hear from multiple? Do we need an intersection? How, um, and when I went into, um, you know, clicked on the implementation rubric and then you go into the tools and resources, I had asked for permission to see the um, guardrail one major decision criteria. Um, it's still behind a firewall. So, um, you know, me as a, with an SFUSD email address, I can't click on that, so I'm assuming that the public can't either. Um, so from a transparency standpoint, I'm hoping yeah, yeah. we can adjust that. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, for some of these, I, I just have a, for all of these, I'm just wondering a little more specificity there on, on what it would take to actually meet this and how much, and again, you know, the, with the whole point being to include parents, guardians, students, and staff impacted by the decisions as we've been talking about here before. Just, I guess, I'm trying to figure out what is that threshold? Yeah, that's helpful. And I think this is where, again, it was kind of a, a balance, but that's the question I think also as we get to the pro monitoring that guardrail, we'll get to bring with some evidence and then have debate, does it really match uh, what we were expecting from it. Uh, and thank you for indulging me. The thing I was looking at, because if you go back to guardrail four, um, I had noticed, you might notice that there's not a period at the end of the 
second guardrail, because I thought we had written uh, something around alignment to our goals and guardrails, right, uh, in terms of when identifying savings, and that's, in a, in a previous draft, we had identifying budget balancing solutions that align with goals and guardrails, so I'm going to add that in there so it's clear that uh, that is, that was intended to have been in there, that it's not just haphazardly, it's like we're doing this and thinking through how that's going to be in service still of where we're going as a district. We are going to take our final comment from our student delegate or delegates and then we'll transition to public comment. I think there are a few Inter, there are a few, I think specifically 4.1 and 5.3 that aren't necessarily inclusive of the larger student experience on the ground. Uh, 4.1, it's saying specifically classrooms which are fully staffed and I think it's important to have sites that are fully staffed. For example, I'm currently at a school site where we don't have a dedicated school nurse. Our assistant principal is serving as our school nurse. And there are multiple other school sites where they have similar issues and that means that neither job is being done to its full potential. And because I see that percentage of classrooms that are fully staffed and I felt that wasn't necessarily representative of what I'm hearing and seeing at individual school sites. And then I realized it's because it's classrooms and not the school site itself because there are teachers who are also serving as coaches and there are a lot of people who are doing way too many jobs. So I think it's important to expand that one and then also if we're doing college and career readiness, we should also consider that not only the amount of students in internships, but the amount of students working jobs. Because working a part-time job for some students is the preparation they need for their career or for their college experience, whether that's saving or that does, that paid hourly job is what prepares them for that future thing. And I'm not sure if that, if this definition of internships is fully inclusive of that experience. So I just like to caution against we need specificity, but that can't lead to exclusiveness. Okay. So this is really helpful. And, and like I said, this is, you know, ultimately I'm responsible for these. Just to highlight what I heard though is, um, like I said, I think for guardrail one, it's going to be more in how we're showing the progress, but also for 1.3, we'll kind of consider who we're asking. Um, for guardrail, um, wait, let me go back to it. For guardrail three, we need a stupendous adjective. Uh, for guardrail four, um, uh, I need to uh, adjust 4.2, and I'm gonna get to what Lenani said, in, and for guardrail five, maybe you know, think about uh, this idea of like, how are we showing um, the uh, what's the impact and uh, uh, not just the quantity of, of the engagement. I think you know what you what you said at the end is this is what we're working through in this process too is like, and this is what was also I mean it's hard with the interim goals too because just because we're not measuring it doesn't mean we're not doing it and so. You know, with 4.3, like you see the improved heating systems, I know if I ask, I talk to many students, we could put bathrooms on there, we could put the lunchroom on there, we could put a lot of things on there. Part of this process is to show, is to start building our um, collective muscle of have, being accountable to something. So I hear what you're saying around 
the like the class the staff room the fully uh, staffed classrooms and how that doesn't capture your whole experience but we chose starting there because we feel like it's also where the students spend the most time and so I say that to say, like, as these evolve, like, for all of this, I think there's going to be these ongoing conversations is then, okay, what's the best measure? Like, so if we meet heating or if we meet classrooms, what do we do next? Are we just trying to lower heating by 10% more or 90%, you know, lower improved classroom staffing? Or do we move to site staffing and bathrooms? So I think it's open for discussion. Uh, but that's the thinking behind why some of these are narrow um, and not fully inclusive. I think with that, what we will do is we will now begin a public comment. I think we'll ask for Judson to call the names of the public commenters here. And if we could also have um, the virtual participants informed and asked to raise their hands. I'm going to ask commissioners and student delegates to go back to their normal seats so we're able to uh, fully uh, watch our um, public comment participants. We will start with our in-person public comment and shortly go after, shortly go into uh, our virtual public comment. Please note that each speaker will have one minute to speak. Um, if we could please have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I'm going to call um, commenters up. Supriya Ray, Patrick Wolf, Jenny Moore, Brenna Moore, Rex Ridgeway, Jeff Lucas. Meredith Dodson and Chanel Blackwell. You can step to the podium at one minute each. Yes. You can step on up and go ahead and get started. Press the button. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. This is Supriya Ray. I wanted to start out by thanking you all again for taking the time to do this type of monitoring and present data. It's such a shift from what we saw a couple of years ago. I just greatly appreciate the effort being put in by everybody here. Um, second thing is in terms of substance. I worry about a couple of things here. One is that even under these interim goals and guardrails, there's a, a huge number of students who are functionally being left behind. Let's take our School C students, for instance, who have a literacy increase, you know, 
hopefully, of 5% from 20 to 25% for third graders by 2024. That's 75%, even assuming we reach that, that aren't meeting literacy standards for their grade level. That is incredibly concerning and incredibly disturbing to me. Um, along those lines and related to that, what are we going to do for students who are struggling and suffering now? What actual interventions are going to occur to help kids now? Thank you. Thank you. Do I press it? Okay, great. Uh, well, first, I also really want to thank and appreciate you for the work that you're doing. I mean, we are on a journey here, and it's a great journey, and just keep it up. Thank you so much. A uh, lot to say, little time, so I just want to uplift a point that President Bogus had made. Um, the goals that you have are very aggressive, and it's unlikely that you're going to hit them. I hope you blow right through them, right? But it's unlikely that you're going to hit them. And so, I think it's important to be realistic in your communication outwards, and if we become a district that follows the data, is relentlessly student-focused, has a culture of continuous improvement, um, on and on and on, and yes, uh, uh, Commissioner Matamidi is correct, we should have a dashboard of um, attendance or chronic absenteeism right now. Um, if we do all those things, we'll be making tremendous progress. Let's not let that be lost. Thanks very much. Hi, I'm Jenny Moore. I'm a mom from Academy High School. I have a junior and a senior who's with me today, my beautiful daughter, Brianna. Um, <laughs> I'm here again to once again plead with you to please not close our school and please commit to no school closures. Um, we were visited by the Assistant Superintendent Davina at our back to school night and we did talk about a redesign plan, but one thing I couldn't get from her was a commitment to not close our school next year. Uh, so I'm really just here to continue to plead that case. There's a lot of wonderful things about our school that I'm gonna let my daughter tell you guys about because she's much, she's much better to speak at it than I am <laughs> uh, since she's living it. Um, she is part of the special ed program, so please be patient with her while she speaks. Um, but I'm gonna turn over the rest of my time and all of her time to her. Thank you. Hi, my name is Brenda Moore. I'm a senior at the Academy. I'm also part of the SPEB program. Schools like Academy are very good for students in special education. We need the smaller schools to help us grow and learn with all the resources we can get. I know for me, smaller schools are a big help because you can have more one-on-one -on -one time with the teachers and they are able to understand and help more. In big schools, we aren't able to work as well and we can struggle more with learning. With smaller schools, our community is big. For me, I know that there could be other things going on inside and outside of school and a bigger school environment can make that more stressful and make time management harder. We deserve the right to a good and fair education as much as other kids, even if we learn different, take a longer time to understand, or need extra help. We're all the same, all human. People sometimes think that since they're in special education, they matter less because they're just gonna slow others down or that we don't work as hard, but they're wrong. We work our butts off to get better and we will be able to get what others are learning. Since our brains work differently, we work harder and we will understand. We just need the support smaller schools provide to do the learning. If the if this school closes down, it's just another small school that special education students won't have to thrive and grow. This has happened before. They have closed down the school 
and now we're back and it'll just be repeating history. And some parents who went to McAteer before want to see the school stay open and for the kids too. They won't have a school to come back as alumni. And we just recently had the school renovated and have an amazing gym, cafeteria, track, and locker rooms, but also newer classrooms and offices. Also, even though most kids don't know about the school because they don't market it, when, when students go to this school, they most, the school most end up loving it and recommending it to others, siblings and friends based on the experience. One other thing too is that we are very a very central school and we have great transportation and travel for any off-campus stuff like sports and internships. If this school closes down, then SOTA won't have the sports and it would make it make it more of a struggle for money, for making money. This is an amazing school. Please don't close this school. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I would just want to remind the public that the public comment right now is only on agenda items for this evening because it's a workshop meeting, so the folks on Zoom as well. Thank you. My name is... Sorry. <laughs> Time's up, Rick. <laughs> Go ahead. My name is Rex Ridgeway, and young lady at your school, talk to your principal because Prop G money covers the nurse. Okay, that's where your money is. I have an answer to a lot of questions from the workshop, and it's homework. The Student Family Handbook, Chapter 4, says, at the beginning of the school year, teachers shall communicate homework expectations to students and their parent guardians, California Board Policy 6154. Now, as a parent, if I, my kid has homework, I know exactly what she's being taught, and I also know if she can do it. I didn't see any homework up there. I have been a big fan of homework, and when you get to Lincoln, you get homework all the time. You can ask Ms. Lamb, we both have juniors. They get homework all the time. Now, why is that important in the future? And I'm gonna wrap it up, because if you get to Stanford, we have our Stanford thing, uh, I have to say, if you make under $100,000, your room, board, and tuition is covered, period. That's the same thing with Brown, Columbia, Princeton, Yale. If you make under $100,000 and you get there, they got you covered. So what I'm saying is homework, you start them early, get them disciplined, get them ready. When they take those SAT tests, what have you, they can okay. get into All those right. schools Thank you, and it's covered. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Thank you, board, for taking my comment. I'm Meredith Dodson. Um, earlier today, we sent you a letter from SF Parent Coalition calling on you to act with greater urgency and to develop a concrete plan to address the challenges in our math and reading programs at SFUSD that you discussed tonight. A year ago, you set a vision, and we commend you for the vision that you set and the goals that you'd like to reach by 2027 for our students. Tonight, you looked at the data that illustrates how far, we off, how far off we are from some of our goals. Next year, we could be even farther. It looks like tonight there's an acknowledgement of the problem and a commitment to a year of monitoring. We know this is important, uh, the data is important, and families, like you already heard from, want to know what interventions and strategies will help our students get back on track today, tomorrow, this year, what, what is being done for those students. Each and every day, our students will fall further behind and our equity gap grows. 
Where is the plan to get our students on track and prevent them from falling further behind? That we need tutoring, additional instructional hours, individually tailored plans. Our kids can't wait for process, process, process. We need a plan. Thank you. Hi, Jeff Lucas. How I learned to love the SBAC, or more appropriately, the practice SBAC. May 5th, 2018, my daughter was taking a practice SBAC. She couldn't answer the first question. Go through the five whys, not trying to help her solve it, but why, 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 why? Yada, yada, yada. Her class was three months behind the district pacing guide. So on May 5th, they were doing work they should have been done with in February. Happiness is a diagnosis. In this case, knowing that the district didn't actually finish the curriculum was all we needed to know. Yada, yada, yada. She's now a math major. The SBAC tests the system. A practice SBAC is immensely valuable, and more importantly, is getting into um, the root cause analysis. We didn't get to root cause. We just got to approximate cause. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of, of digging deeper into why the outcomes are the way they are. Thank you. Hi, Chanel, parent advocate for two public school kids. Um, in, in the 22 and 23rd school year, only 40% of eighth grade students passed the SBAC for math. Upon closer, stu closer study, we see even worse outcomes in key focus groups. We know that there is a lot of talk about eighth grade algebra. We support that. Furthermore, we want to see a district where we get calls, where one half of the students are proficient in math. And also I wanted to address, I know we talked about math, eighth grade math. <laughs> um, I have a 12th grader, it's too late for him about math, but my, my seventh grader, his brother, is showing signs of liking science, technology, or anything that's STEM. And um, he can do eighth grade math to brighten that, that, um, that light bulb more, same as many of his friends. So what I'm saying is that um, Eighth grade math is important to be to come back to bring it back, and we support that. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes in-person public comment. All right, we'll go to virtual. For our virtual participants, please do raise your hand. Each speaker will have one minute. Again, we're taking public comment on the workshop on student outcomes. That's student outcomes progress monitoring and up our updated interim goals and guardrails currently have three hands raised. Jennifer? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, I'm calling in because this entire model seems like something of a farce. You are setting uh, interim goals based on an assumption that simply doesn't exist. I am deeply curious as to how you intend to truly raise students' sense of belonging at school when our schools have more vacancies than LAUSD, a district 10 times our size. I'm also wondering why we are moving $15 million of unrestricted funding into reserves when this district's two largest unions are preparing for strike votes. And that money is desperately needed to settle fair contracts. Our reserves are above state minimums. You are making choices that make school harder for students and make outcomes worse. That is a choice you are making. All this playing around with numbers and goals you will never meet because of your other choices 
is simply a waste of our time. Thank you. Kiki? Yes, thank you. Um, my comment has to do with uh, one of the slides that were shown earlier in the presentation about the results from the QTEA survey results. One thing I found pretty disturbing, and I'm surprised that no one else addressed it, was that 66% of the teachers surveyed actually responded. That means one third did not. And of those 66%, only a 44% never consulted with their site leader. 38% never consulted with their colleagues. So that means that, you know, a significant, maybe 50, more than 50% of these uh, teachers are effectively siloed. So, you know, uh, an indirect response to some of the questions that were raised about how do we, how do we systematize success? How do we systematize things that work? Or really focus only in on the things that don't work? If teachers are not even, uh, you know, concerned with the things responding, or if they're not even communicating with their leaders and, and, and colleagues, how do you expect them, or how do you expect anyone to, to you know, improve? Um, I think it goes back perhaps to the comment that Commissioner Sanchez raised about the-, Kiki, the I'm, about I'm sorry to have to interrupt you. That is your time. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Penelope? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, I'm Penelope Ventile. I am a parent of two kids at Lakeshore Elementary, and I'm on the school site council. Um, and I didn't plan to chime in on public comment when I tuned in tonight, but I was listening to the presentation about SBAC scores and site-level targets for improvement, and it left me feeling really bewildered because I know at our site, at least, our SOC allocated one and a half FTEs last year to fund having artists precisely to target improving literacy outcomes, which was in our school site plan. Um, but now I've learned this year at our first meeting that our artists that we tried to hire, were, that any, any artists that we try to hire are going to be inevitably pushed by the district for reassignment to classrooms at other schools because there's so many classrooms with vacancies. And of course, it's vital that we fill have a STEM classroom teachers. Like, I don't dispute that. But talking about engaging site levels and improving performance at our site it's kind of farcical when the reality is we don't have the power to hire the supports we need to effectively hit those targets, even when we have the money to do it, which we do in our budget, and we're trying to figure out how we can fund it in a way that won't inevitably get pulled away to fill those sort of district-level deficits that are happening. So I don't know, I just wanted to chime into that from my perspective as a school site leader and trying to engage. It just seems... It's ring hollow. Uh, and I know you guys are trying, and I appreciate it, but like... Thank you, Penelope. Sorry to have to interrupt you. That is your time. Thank you. Um, thank you to all the public commenters and all the people who um, watched and participated in the meeting this evening. I think with that, we are at a place where we will adjourn our meeting at 8.59 p.m.